Welcome to a podcast for moms. I'm your host, Julia Sparkman. Thank you so much for joining me today. This episode is so incredibly bittersweet for me. This is the second to last episode before I take a major pause to make space for the birth of my son early next year and for the rest period that will follow his birth. And serendipitously, I did not plan it this way, today's episode, episode 16, is the essential nature of birth and postpartum storytelling with Whitney Moulter. And I need to pause before I go deep again to say that I first knew Whitney by her maiden name and I still internally refer to her as that. So Whitney, if I pronounced your last name wrong, my deepest apologies. If you're new to Whitney though, Whitney is a mother to two girls, a wife, and a marriage and family therapist that specializes in eating disorders, body image, and disordered eating. And above and beyond her titles, Whitney is a Minnesotan at heart. We're both Midwestern gals. And she is a woman passionate about connecting with other women and storytelling. Now, before I before we get into this episode, I wanted to share a moment of my truth and tell a little story about what's kind of going on with me and what this conversation sparked for not only me, but for the future of this podcast. So prior to listening to my conversation with Whitney, I was quite certain that I was not going to return to a podcast for moms after my postpartum pause. Truthfully, this podcast has been so much work. And even with the amount of work I invest into the podcast each week, it still doesn't live up to my standards. And as every, as with everything in my life, I have these grandiose ideals for what I want this podcast to be. And I have unbelievably high expectations for myself. And I've continually fallen short of where I would like to be with a podcast for moms. To be honest, this episode was supposed to air last week and my daughter stopped napping. So I didn't have time to get to the work that I needed to do to release the episode. And I'm recording this intro at the last minute, and that is why I didn't have time to confirm the proper pronunciation of Whitney's last name. All that said, once I started listening to our conversation, which I must share, I didn't record it on the device that gives the immaculate recording quality that most other episodes have. And I'm going to blame that on my pregnancy brain. And I'm also going to thank my overzealousness for always recording on multiple devices. Nevertheless, I apologize if this episode does not sound as clear as some of the others. It's still really great, though. I digress. As I began to listen to my conversation with Whitney, I started listening and when I'm listening, I have to take these copious notes to create the show notes for each episode. And I'm listening to the conversation and I found myself really actively listening versus trying to listen to take the notes because I was like, wow, this is exactly what I not only need to be doing, but what I want to be doing. Like Whitney, I believe in the power of storytelling and I want to help other women share their stories. And I also want to share my story too. 
And during our conversation, Whitney spoke so beautifully to unrealistic expectations and how we suffer because things don't go according to our plans. And as I reflected, I realized that no one except for me has had the expectation that I was going to write these incredibly detailed show notes and create these long show web pages for each episode. And that is what takes the longest when it comes to creating this podcast and what has kept me from creating more episodes or having the desire to carry forward with the podcast. And once I took a step back, I realized that when I return from my postpartum leave, all I need to do is record the episode and write a few sentences and load it up, right? I am the one that makes this harder than it needs to be. And that was a theme that came up as Whitney shared her postpartum experience. We are often the ones that get in our own ways, and that can be because of shame or different stories that we've created, like my story that I have had around this podcast that I need to do it right, and if I'm going to do it, it needs to be perfect. And it's like, no, like I wanted to create a podcast for moms so it could be a platform for other women to feel seen and heard and connected to other moms. And I know it's done that because I've received feedback. And although it's not on this like ginormous scale, which of course I want it, wanted it to be ginormous, I guess you could say, but I'm so incredibly happy with the impact that the episodes have made and the stories that the women, the guests have shared on the podcast. And yeah, I'm just like, this is what I need to do. So thank you, Whitney, for bringing me to that place. And all that said, there's still one more episode. It's a solo episode that I'm going to launch before I take a pause And I could not be more grateful that this episode is the last conversational slash interview type of episode I'm releasing before I sign off for a while. Whitney shares so humbly and she's so genuine and she's so vulnerable. And I am confident that this episode will speak to any woman looking to reflect on and honor their experience becoming a mom. Please enjoy. Hey, Whitney, welcome to a podcast for moms. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so happy to have this conversation. I was reflecting this morning and I was like, when did we first connect? And I believe it was probably about six years ago now. And I think we shared a desk shift and if you're if you're listening you're like what does that even mean we both used to teach at a yoga studio and there was two studio rooms at the studio and we had classes at the same time and so we would sit behind the desk together and check in our students so I'm, I'm if I'm remembering correctly that's how we first crossed paths and I've reached out to you several times over the years because as I have shared in previous podcast episodes when I was pregnant before I got pregnant with Sloan, I wanted to become a marriage and family therapist and you have walked a similar path. So that's kind of how we've been interconnected, but I would love to hear, um, you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're at, what you're up to and yeah, anything that you'd like to share with the listeners today. Yeah. 
Thank you for that welcome. Um, I know I was thinking about that too, as far as when we first met and like so many of us in the yoga community, it's often in passing with checking students in and out of class or something of that regard. But I was also thinking about that and yeah, I think it was in North Park actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, I guess we'll just start with professionally. So yes, I am a marriage and family therapist. Um, I um, have been in the field for now going on 10 years, and yeah, so I I went straight from undergrad to grad school. Um, My specialty is eating disorders and body image, disordered eating, so um, anything in regards to that that comes through the clinic that I work at, that's, I'm your girl. Um, But this question is always tough because it's like, for me, I feel like... uh, of course, my underlying values are always the same, but really how I would answer who am I, what am I up to really depends on the season of life that I'm in. And so right now, so much of my life is motherhood. You yeah. Know? And um, so I am a mom of two girls. I have a two and a half year old daughter named Lenny, and then I have a, she just turned 10 months, uh, which is wild to think that we're approaching the one year mark, um, daughter named Georgia. And so I feel like I'm just in the thick of, uh, diapers, potty training. Um, so grateful laugh. They make me laugh every day and they also make me want to rip my hair out every day. And, um, I'm tired all the time. (laughs) And, uh, Let's see here. I'm also, I've been with my husband now for 10 years as well. Mm -hmm. So we're both originally from Minnesota. And I think that's also how you and I kind of connected. I remember having a conversation with you in North Park about that you're originally from Chicago, right? The Chicago area, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So I just feel like us Midwesterners kind of bond, although Chicago is much more like, I feel like the New York of the Midwest (laughs) than Minnesota. You know, it's like the cool city, and I'm like from like rural Minnesota. But um, yeah, I do feel like coming from the Midwest, that does play a big part in who I am, just in terms of um, just really connected to like spending time with family, loved ones, traditions. I'm kind of sentimental in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, in that regard, and let's see. I think outside of that, I'll just say, you know, I'm my passion really is connecting with other women and storytelling. And, you know, that's why I was so drawn to when you asked me to come on, um, being a part of this because you're really holding that space. And I don't know if you know this, Julia, but even though you didn't go the path of becoming a therapist in many ways, you are like, I would say an unofficial therapist, well, just the way you, <laughs> yeah, just the way that you, I also think hairdressers are unofficial. Oh therapists. yeah. They just don't yeah. know it. But, um, just the way, you know, listening to other episodes, the way you hold space, the questions you ask. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's beautiful. So yeah. thank you for allowing me to be here. Well, thank you. And it's funny you say that because I went to acupuncture yesterday and I go into the room and I like talk to my acupuncturist before we, you know, before I derobe, before she exits so I can get, you know, on the table. 
And she walks back in after I'm like, you know, all covered. And I was like, my eyes are closed. And I was like, do you provide therapy for all of your clients? Or is this just like an extra service that you provide to me? So yeah, I feel like there's, there are people out there that, you know, no, no one in my opinion can take the place of a truly trained, you know, great. I mean, I feel like there's some therapists out there that are magical humans and then there's magical humans that offer therapy in their own unique ways and Absolutely. yeah so one reason why I was so drawn and and you had been on my list of like before I even started reaching out to people I made a list and you were on there because your daughter Lenny I believe is probably about six months older than Sloan, maybe a little more. You said she's two and a half now, right? Yeah, she was born in February. So yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I can say they're yeah, Sloan probably. and her are roughly six months apart. Yeah, so you were kind of like walking the path, you know, just like a little bit ahead of me. And as I've invited people onto the podcast, I mean, I maybe could have strategically grown it faster by asking people with like huge followings that post a lot to come on, but that was never my intention. It was always people that really resonate with me. So you're not like a oversharer on Instagram, nor are you like posting all the time, but whenever you post, it's always really meaningful. And I remember so vividly reading one of your posts about your experience with postpartum, just as I was entering into my we'll call it like dark night of my postpartum experience. And it was so comforting for me because, and I've shared this in other episodes, I think coming from like, you came from a yoga background. I believe you're not currently teaching. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's, it's like, yeah. yeah. So it's like, you had that background. You're also a therapist. So I, I, felt that everyone kind of looked at me of like, oh, birth is going to be so easy for you and postpartum is going to be so mm-hmm. easy because you're you're a yoga teacher. You practice yoga. So it's like, yes. ain't no problem. And so I had so much judgment on myself because I'm like, I have all these tools. I have all these resources, yet I'm having this really challenging experience. And so then reading your experience where you were sharing that things were tough for you. And then I remember we had some correspondence either through text message or Instagram message where you shared with me that, yeah, you know, you were having a really hard time and it was, it's, you've all, you've kind of always been this like a lighthouse for me watching, you, you know, we've kind of like done things. I followed like shortly behind you, you know, with like children and the experiences. So I was really excited to talk to you because we really haven't had an opportunity to talk about your experience. And I know that your experience with your first daughter the birth, the postpartum was a lot different than your experience with your second daughter. And you did a lot in between. And you also guided me to doing some of the healing that you did as well. So I would love to kind of kick off today with whatever you're open to sharing about your birth with Lenny and your postpartum experience, and then how you moved through that and prepared yourself for your second daughter and how those two experiences were different. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. It like literally warmed my heart as you were talking about that because yeah, you're right. I'm not a well, my husband would probably say I'm an overshare on social media, <laughs> but I yes, I don't have a huge following. I think my profile's private, you know, but I do 
when I do share, I try to be very intentional about it. And either it's something, um, you know, I think there's so much, motherhood is just so crazy that there's so many funny things that happen too that I either like to post about that or I like to just share, you know, whatever's present. But um, specifically to your question, yeah, I mean, so I'll just share, you know, as far as my husband and I, we tried to get pregnant with Lenny for, I think it took us a little under a year. So it wasn't, you know, um, in my opinion, super long process, but it also wasn't instantaneous. And I've always known I've wanted to be a mom. And so the, the journey even to getting pregnant was filled with going to, I've seen a naturopathic doctor. I was seeing an acupuncturist. I was doing homeopathy. I was checking and tracking my basal body temperature every morning, like the whole thing. Right. And so eventually when I got pregnant, I was ecstatic, but I feel like I kind of very quickly then uh, transitioned into, okay, what's the next step? Okay, it's carrying this baby to term and my labor experience. And what what do I want that to look like? How do I want it to be? Uh, What are my intentions? And I believe it was about four or five months into my pregnancy that through the yoga studio, of course, because that's where we meet everybody, right? Um, I met a a woman who was leading a hypnobirthing class. And she could tell I was pregnant, obviously, and had shared a little bit with me about her class and asked if it would be something I'd be interested in. So I took some time, read a little bit about hypnobirthing, and um, felt like it really resonated on many, many levels. Um, specifically, I think the the key piece, and this ties into the postpartum, but is, you know, I had a really strong intention around I wanted to have a birth where there was, as in my words, it would be kind of like least um, amount of interventions as possible, right? A quote-unquote natural birth. And now, mm-hmm. like, looking back, I don't even like that term like natural because in my opinion it's like if you have a belly birth if you have a vaginal birth if you have a a home birth it's all natural you know but in my opinion what what that equated to was a vaginal unmedicated birth was my ultimate goal and I had a really strong narrative around that as far as if that happened it meant this about me and I really in looking back see where some of that comes from in terms of my mom actually had to, um, so I have an older sister and she had both of us quote unquote naturally. So in that way, where it was a vaginal unmedicated birth and it was kind of, it reinforced this belief of like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And like my best friend actually from Minnesota also had two unmedicated, unmedicated vaginal births and like, you know, if, if she can do it, I can do it, right? And I think also to your point about being in the yoga community and then also being a therapist, when I would talk to my friends um, and just other women that have come before me that have delivered, they were like, oh, you're going to have the most zen birth possible. Like, you're a yogi. You know how to breathe. Um, I've been told that I come across, you know, just – from coworkers and just friends as a very quote unquote chill person. And so I think that that fed into that as well. Um, so I already had just such a strong attachment to it needs to go this way. And a big part of hypnobirthing, I'm not sure if you 
looked into that or did that with uh, in preparation for with Sloan. I just mentioned that because I feel like a lot of us yogis tend to kind of like go down that path. Um, and but a big part of it is really being um, intentional with how you're thinking about your birth, how you're visualizing affirmations. Um, and so it was really instilled in me, like, you must believe that it's going to go this way and it will happen. And there was exercises in preparation leading up to delivery that also were in alignment with trying to support that. And so my husband and I, you know, one of the beautiful things that came out, came out of it was, I do feel like it brought us a lot closer. We were doing couples meditations, you know, um, really doing some I would say, you know, from a therapist lens, like somatic work mm-hmm. around um, getting connected in preparation for the, the labor experience. Um, so kind of fast forwarding a bit to, you know, I'm not going to, of course, go into my whole birth story, but I'll just share that. Um, so I ended up carrying Lenny until I was almost 42 weeks. Um, I knew I was going to deliver her in a hospital because I work for a hospital. And so I was like, you know what, it's just it's convenient. And I just felt like it, it um, I, I think there was a bit of me that felt comforted in, in knowing that if something were to go awry, there's medical support there. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though in some ways I felt like I almost had to defend that choice too, because I felt like I, oh, I should have a home birth or I should, you know, go to a birthing center, right? So I had all these weird stories and, and um, narratives that I had really created in my head. But um, my goal then, knowing I was going to have hospital birth, was to labor at home as long as possible, get as far as I could, so to speak, in terms of dilation before I went in. And I ended up going into labor um, on a Friday night. I believe it was about 11 p.m. And ended up having my daughter on Monday morning. Wow. At- 5 a.m. So, you know, that's what, 52-ish hours? Mm-hmm. So it was a long process, which, you know, for first-time moms, it's not uncommon for the early stages of labor to sometimes take or last days. But I think where I got tripped up was um, I, I immediately, right off the bat, was having contractions, I would say, 10 minutes apart. Um, I wouldn't say they were super strong, but I feel like it wasn't like, like with my second labor, they were sometimes an hour plus apart, you know, very inconsistent. Um, so I had nothing to compare it to, but in my mind, I'm like, well, if these are happening so close together, I must be like, it's go time. Right. And also too, unfortunately I ended up, um, vomiting quite a bit, my first labor. And I know that that we, I had been prepared that that could happen, but um, I wasn't prepared that it would happen as much as it did. Like literally for those three days, every time I would try to drink um, anything or eat anything, it would just instantly come up. So unfortunately, I got very dehydrated. Um, so I labored at home for, I believe it was about 14 hours. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I got to be pretty far along, yeah. you know. Um, contractions were pretty close together. At that point, from what I remember, it's all such a blur. Uh, but I, I ended up going to the hospital. We had a doula who came over that morning, and she and my husband accompanied accompanied me into the hospital. And I just so wish I would have gotten some video because um, 
With hypnobirthing, one of the things the instructor encouraged us was to pick a color that really uh, resonated with, you know, something that maybe we could wear that color when we were in labor or just have that color in our room as we're laboring. For me, purple came through. I'm not a purple person, very much like earth tones, you know, but I was like, all right, Lenny must like purple. And ironically, that is her favorite color. Um, But I bought a robe that I wore into the hospital that was purple and an eye mask because the intention with hypnobreeding was to really stay inward and not let the noise or the hustle and bustle of the hospital or wherever you're laboring get to you so to speak. So I'm wearing a purple robe, a purple eye mask, and rain boots because I was so swollen already being 42 weeks pregnant that nothing fit me. And I'm walking into the hospital, they're guiding me in, you know, I'm like contracting and I don't even know, moaning, whatever. And I'm like, it was like two in the afternoon. So like brightest day out, right? And I just so wish I would have gotten that on video or something because I'm like, I must have looked just so ridiculous. But so that's, a, you know, there's be- so many beautiful moments from my labor like that, that I look back on and I'm like, gosh, like how priceless, like I'll always remember that. And I can't wait to tell Lenny that story someday. Yeah. Um, but long story short, just to kind of share. So I got there, I was basically four centimeters dilated. Um, they didn't tell me the number because they didn't want to know, but Later, a nurse, because I was in labor for so long, they had so many shift changes. Mm -hmm. So I was getting, they were, you know, doing the warm handoff, so to speak, between nurses, midwives. And so one of the nurses let it slip, like, oh, when she got here, she was at a four. So I ended up hearing, and I feel like it just crushed me because I was like, holy shit. Like, I I don't know if I can swear on here. You can definitely swear. Yeah. (laughs) Explicit podcast. Yeah. this works. Um, but I'm like, Oh my God. Like I, at that point, I think I've been in labor for like, you know, I got to the hospital, like 14, 15 hours in and contractions were pretty close together. I was throwing up. So I thought I was much further along. And I think that that really messed my head. And at one point they suggested Pitocin, which again, we were trying as much as possible to avoid interventions, but I was really afraid because things were not progressing quote unquote quickly enough that, um, I would wind up with a belly birth and, you know, so I ultimately agreed to the Pitocin. And then I think like the 30 hour mark, I was like, give me the epidural. I can't, I need it. And that also was another pivotal point of just feeling really crushed because I had such a strong attachment to, I need to do it this way. Mm-hmm. I also feel like, um, yeah, just people, you know, because the shift changes, people coming in and out of the room, I'm really sensitive to energy and it created a whole different dynamic. Even though I was wearing the eye mask, I could feel different people's, um, you know, energies or or how they supported birthing moms, you know, it just created this shift and I didn't feel like I had an anchor, Mm -hmm. you know, um, my husband, our doula, they were both wonderful. And of course, though, at the, you know, we'll just say 40 hour mark, they're exhausted too. They've been up for, you know, days on end, barely eating. My husband, you know, at one point our doula was like, basically forced him out of the room. It's like, you need to go get food because he was just like by my side. And I think concerned, you know, because he 
very much had it in his mind that I was going to do this naturally as well. Um, and essentially, you know, once we got to the stage with kind of increasing the Pitocin, um, the epidural, all of that, um, Lenny's heart rate kept dropping mm. and, and again, not uncommon, you know, and they give you, I don't know, in your experience, they give you the oxygen. Thankfully she rebounded pretty quickly, but, um, the same situation happened with actually Georgia, my second daughter. And we found out after Georgia was born that, um, she had a short umbilical cord and mm. Lenny also did. And that that can cause, um, their heart rate to the just continuously. Yeah. 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 But you know, in their mind, they, they don't know that that's the reason before yeah. they come out. And so they, so I don't know, you know, I think you get birth in a hospital, but I don't know your experience. Yeah, I like they, yeah. When the, when the, um, heart rate drops, they have, you know, people just slowly come in a bunch of doctors and yeah. Where I birthed, it was midwives, and then if something was "quote unquote" wrong, then they have OBs come in, and so, you know, every time that would happen, it just created this inner sense of anxiety, mm-hmm. and I ultimately just feel like the birth was really just so opposite of what I, how I was so attached to it going, that um, any little thing just threw me off, um, but. Eventually, once I got to the pushing stage, um, I'll just share that it was really tough. Lenny was sunny side up. She was a big baby. Um, She was almost nine pounds, and um, I couldn't get her past my pubic bone. So after several hours of pushing, they suggested doing a vacuum delivery. Um, And so she came out that way. And as soon as they put that vacuum on, she just, like, shot up. But, um, you know, that comes with its own aftermath in terms of physical uh, recovery so I'm yeah. still dealing with um, tailbone pain I'm, I'm actually still seeing a pelvic floor PT right now to kind of work through that um, so all of that to just say like it just um, I, I don't necessarily think it was the actual birth that was traumatic to me you know I think the word trauma is sometimes we have to, we so often, um, view it as like, oh, I have to be a war veteran, or I have to go through this like terrible abuse to, to say that I've gone through trauma. But I personally think trauma is just any time we, we disconnect from our, our nervous system just gets flooded and we go into fight, flight, or freeze. And it's really hard for us to integrate back into our body. And I think that birth experience was the catalyst to me, experiencing postpartum depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. because of how much shame and uh, disappointment I felt towards myself and the experience and then being responsible, as you know, for a, you know, most dependent being on the earth at that point. And so it just kind of was a snowball domino effect from there. Definitely. So I, I know that was so much to share, but yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, thank you so much for sharing your story. And there's, it's fascinating because I've spoken to so many women now about their birth stories and everyone is very different yet. There's always so many parallels and threads and Mm -hmm. connections. And it's funny you mentioned hypnobirthing because that was something that was suggested to me. And I actually, 
accidentally signed up for hypno babies because I didn't realize it was any different and then I'm like taking this hypno babies class and I'm explaining to the friend that suggested hypno birthing to me like what I was going through and she's like that is not what I did so I did something different and the parallel though is the story that you create and then when the rapture from the intention and the vision and the story starts to happen it's almost, in my experience, was internal chaos because there was never the preparation for the other experience. And so it's like you're clinging so tightly to wanting the vision that you had and then reality begins to unfold and you're so unprepared for it and it's such an intense moment. And so that was kind of my experience too where I feel like a lot of my postpartum came from and it's so fascinating because it's like we have a lot of parallels in terms of you know like Sloan was sunny side up she wasn't I mean my birth was different but she wasn't taking forever to come out and lots of shift changes too because I when at the time that I arrived it was like approaching you know a shift change and um and yeah that's it's challenging to navigate yet one thing I wanted to point out is it's so interesting that you shared you were wanting to have this unmedicated vaginal birth because other people you knew had had an unmedicated vaginal birth and mine was the exact opposite my mom had three children and she only had cesareans and that she was like oh I wasn't able to have a vaginal birth and I was like I'm rewriting our family's story, you know, because I, I like it, in our family's past, like there were a lot of um, assisted births, we'll call them. And I was like, no, I'm going to strike it out on a different path here. Yeah. And so it was very similar. Like when I wasn't able to do what I wanted, I had so much shame and sadness and um, and also just you know, like almost grieving the experience that I wanted. And I'm curious. So for you, you had this experience, wasn't what you wanted. How then did you start to reintegrate? And how long did that take you to begin that process? Were you aware of what you were going through, like initially? Or was it you were just kind of so caught up in the newborn phase that you didn't recognize how, um, and I will use the word traumatized you were, by your experience like were you aware of it or did it take a while for you to like recognize like oh I'm not okay right now yeah yeah it's it's interesting you ask that because you know I think as far as postpartum depression and anxiety goes it can really show up you know I think unfortunately one of the myths we hold is that um, just working in mental health or just societally is like, oh, it's, it usually happens right out the gate. But the reality is it could show up eight months postpartum, two years postpartum, right? Like it's yeah. such a major identity shift to go from maiden to mother, right? Um, for me, my experience was definitely right out the gate. I did experience um, postpartum depression and anxiety. I didn't know that was happening though, because you know, you're just in healing mode, you're um, trying to figure out the breastfeeding thing, which that's a whole other, you know, area that I feel like contributed to, to how I was doing um, postpartum. But um, I 
feel like the, I will share that the first four months of Lenny's life, for whatever reason, it was really, you know, I continued to struggle, of course, after that, but like, those were the hardest months of, I will say, of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being on the floor crying multiple times, like wailing. And, you know, I, I think crying like that, I, and again, I may be biased being a therapist, but it's like extremely healthy. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, as adults, we should have more temper tantrums. Like yeah. I'm going to make that a thing. Like just let, let stuff go. Um, but I remember saying, I'm, those were exactly the words I was using was I'm not okay. And I was talking to my husband, Mike, I'm like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And I just felt so, um, disconnected from myself and who I was and, everything I had known up to that point. And I feel like I ultimately though, the beautiful thing is like, I needed to crack to that degree to find my place in motherhood and to find my feet and to find stability. But it took a lot of time and a lot of support. Um, why I say the first four months is because I vividly remember having experience. Um, Lenny and I struggled with breastfeeding Um especially in the beginning, but I ultimately started bringing her to a um, pediatric chiropractor. Mm-hmm. And she also did some cranial sacral work with her. And I feel like that was such a game changer because I had been seeing um, a few lactation consultants through the hospital. And at one point, one of them said, I don't know what to tell you. She's a mystery baby. And I nev- I remember walking out of that appointment being like, what the F, like, why am I doing this? You know, like, how, how am I going to figure this out? And I feel like seeing that chiropractor was the turning point. And um, after one particular session with her at the four month mark, Lenny and I went and sat by the ocean in Ocean Beach. Um, there's this like secret spot I like to go to that I often went to when I was pregnant with her. And it's just really peaceful and quiet. Um, and I, I breastfed her, I breastfed her for the first time or nursed her in public for the first time. Um, and I feel like that was the first semblance and that was the four month mark of any sense internally of feeling like I could take a sigh of relief and know that like, we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it was just this, you know, magical shift and everything was rainbows and sunshines up sunshine after that point but it was the first anchor I had had since her birth where I was like okay like I can do this we can do this we're in this together yeah Um, yeah yeah that's uh I had a couple of those moments too and I'm curious so in the in the four months leading up to when you had that moment with her were you able like prior to um going to that chiropractic appointment like do you feel like you had support from others were you able to receive the support what what kept you going through those four months was it just like sheer like powered through or what was kind of that experience like how were you keeping your head somewhat above water or were you not at all above water then yeah, I feel like I was treading, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think I ha- I'm very blessed in the sense that I have a really supportive husband, um, wonderful family. My mom and sister live locally, and yet they were trying 
all of them were trying so hard to support me and it wasn't, it was twofold. On one hand, it wasn't what I needed, you know, it wasn't the type of support I needed and I can speak more to that in a moment, but I think it was also, I wasn't willing to accept the support. And my Mm -hmm. husband and I have had lots of conversations, especially now that we have two, you know, in preparation for a second, like how, you know, what were our growing pains in the, our first experience and, and what do I need to, what do we need to come together and do differently this time around to support um, a different experience. And my growing pain was welcoming in the support. Mm -hmm. I think because I had so much shame you know, around the birth experience. And then on top of that, then having shame around, well, why can't I breastfeed? Like, why are we having so many issues and what's going on? And I had nannied my niece and nephews for years and I felt like I had tons of experience, but it was like a whole different ball game when it's your own, you know? Um, I think because I was really wrapped up in the shame piece, I, I ultimately didn't accept help. Yeah, and I, um, I was kind of on an island, you know, but it was my own, my own doing. So I like didn't, I wanted to ask the question, like, do you think that, did you have help and you weren't able to take it in? I, I almost framed it like that. So I'm, I'm yeah. was curious if that was your experience because that was mine. It's like, I had people around that wanted to help. And I, it was like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's almost like I couldn't let it in for so long, even though it was there. I was just, and I still can't even entirely explain how the dynamic worked, but I just was not able to receive it. It was just, it just, you're kind of like in your own world, your own space. And even though it's there and I, I ask you this more so because I'm curious, um, with your second daughter, Georgia, like, was that experience different and, and how do you think you got to that place? Was it just can you kind of expand upon that a little bit for us? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so one of the things we, we did differently after Georgia was born is we, um, set up postpartum doula support Mm. and that was huge. Um, so we actually hired a night doula, um, who came, I think in the beginning, it was twice a week, and then we kind of moved and shifted to one one night a week. Um, I I feel like I that was my biggest thing is like after Lenny, like I've always struggled with sleep. Um, that's nothing new, but um, I feel like you know even when I was given help to the point where I was told, okay, it's okay to go take a nap, I would lay there and I was hearing the phantom crying and I just mm-hmm. couldn't. I, I, I think that's where the trauma piece comes in. It's like I was so, my nervous system was so heightened that I, I couldn't regulate because the tools I had used to regulate, you know, prior to becoming a mom weren't available. You know, prior to becoming a mom, it was like I would go to a yoga class or I'd go on a hike. Um, you know, I'd listen to a meditation and it's like, the, I guess the meditation could have happened, but it just became harder, right? Everything gets a little more complicated. Um, but as far as after Georgia, yes, it was hiring, being okay with hiring outside support and not creating a story around that as like, I have to do it all. I think that's the biggest piece is like, 
I don't have to do it all. And just because generations before us really came from that narrative, right? Like my mom was sharing with me, um, you know, my parents slept in separate bedrooms after us kids were born and she basically got up with us all night long while my dad slept because he was quote unquote going to work, you know? And it's just like, Mike and I had to have a lot of conversations about that and be like, you know what, I'm, we're going to share this 50, 50. And he's like, absolutely. And Whitney, you have to let me help. Yeah. And that was huge. And it may mean I need to let go of that has to be done a particular way. I have to learn to be okay. <laughs> oh, with, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to be okay with that. She might be, Georgia might be crying and that he's doing his best and they need to figure out their way of, you know, connection and his way of soothing her. And so it goes, it's both of us, you know, it's, it's both of us getting out of our own way in terms of, I think that's the thing with parenthood. It's like, brings your most inner demons up to the surface, you know, as far as asking for help, welcoming support. Um, But the beautiful side of that is, is you grow and you transform and it's, it's such a, it's awesome when you can do that with your partner, but I'd be lying if I said, you know, it hasn't been met with a lot of, at times, um, resentment, Mm -hmm. frustration, fights, um, you know, middle of the night arguments about, I don't even know what, like, you know, that like we laugh about the next day because we're like, what in the world were we saying, you know, but you're just so tired that you're just like, you know, it's just crazy. But yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately to, to summarize to your question, it's just, I had to get out of my own way, simply put. And that may mean things don't happen in like my ideal way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much to that, particularly like the generational thing of women used to do it all. And even now, one thing that I struggle with is my privilege of for a long time, I went into motherhood with the intention that I wasn't going to work until at least six months. I was like, I'm not even going to figure out what I'm going to do since I I didn't have anything to go back to. It was going to have to be starting something fresh. And then Mm -hmm. at that juncture, the pandemic happened. So I just, I've just moved into being a stay at home mom because I never went back to anything. And so I had this notion around, I should be doing it all. Like, I don't have a job. Look at these other women who do have jobs and they're not having, you know, a housekeeper come or they're not getting their groceries delivered or they're not, you know, like all of these stories. And so that's something I've really had to wrestle with is privilege, number one. And then also just looking back at, you know, in the past, like the women did do it all. And I was laughing so hard like inside when you're like doing it your way because it literally hasn't been until I've shared with you and I've shared on Instagram Sloan's going through a really challenging time with sleep and Alex never got up in the middle of the night with her until now at two years old because all always before I couldn't handle it like if she would start crying or anything would be going wrong I'd be like just give her to me just like I like no like just give her to me I never gave him space to like figure it out himself and I think that's one of the biggest things with relationships and 
moving into that space of motherhood is leaving room for other people to have their own dynamic and relationship with your child, which has been the hardest thing for me. I'm like, no, my way's the right way. Right. So like, let's just, <laughs> let's either learn how to do it my way or I'll do it. And you help me with something else. That's kind of been like my prerogative. And yeah. I recognize that's probably not going to work when I have two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Something we had spoken about prior to recording is relationships post baby and the mental load of motherhood and resentment. So I'd love to kind of hear that experience for you, how that's, how you've moved through those different, you know, not only the relationship with your husband, but with friendships and family. And I know that you have gone back to work. So how have you navigated, you know, kind of almost, and I don't like to look at it as splintering, but I'm sure there was moments in time where it wasn't all integrated. All of yourselves weren't integrated. Did you have a similar experience to that? Um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, yeah. I know I, I was, as you were talking about, oh, my way's the right way. And, and you know, I, I was kind of giggling because it's, for me, it was my way's the right way, but I want you to, to help and I want you to figure it out so that I can get more sleep, for example, right? But it's like, it's just unrealistic expectations, right? Oh, and yeah. like, you know, you got to do it this way, but I'm going to be mad at you if you can't get her back to sleep so that I can get more sleep. I'm waking up anyway because I can hear her crying. You know, it's yeah. just like, it's just this vicious cycle. So I think, oh gosh, I honestly, I feel like we're still in the thick of it. So I don't mm-hmm. have like an answer, you know, I For think sure. my husband and I are still, um, very much trying to navigate that. And, you know, I think we each hold, um, and I'll speak to friendships and family as well, but like, I think it's most predominant, I'll just say within my partnership mm-hmm. and the, because we're the ones that are primarily taking care of our kiddos and, um, we're still trying to figure it out to be honest, but I think it's just, um, for me, I've really had to adjust my expectations. Um, literally, yes. Like you said, when you have two, you just don't, you literally do not have time to put as much into it, you know? And that's been a blessing too, because one of the things with Lenny is like, I was just, like when we couldn't figure out the breastfeeding thing, I was just going down a Google rabbit hole of like, well, what is it? You know, what's going on? And it's like, you know, we did, ha- I had some struggles with Georgia as well with, with feeding and I didn't have the time because I was also taking care of a toddler to sit on Google, you know, and, and that's been a blessing. So I think some ways it's, it's for me, my biggest lesson has been the surrender mm-hmm. um, and both in the labor experience and in postpartum. Um, the resentment piece is also like, you know, it's hard to talk about because it's like, I, I feel like I have, speaking of privilege, like I'm so lucky. My mom takes care of my girls, our girls every week. She drives 50 minutes mm. one way. So over, you know, an hour, almost two hours to come take care of them every Thursday. Wow. So lucky. And, you know, my sister's always been so, such a strong force in my life in terms of just her presence. Um, and I also think 
um, the type of support I really needed and have needed in postpartum is tangible, yes, like people just like doing the dishes, you know, laundry, whatever, um, that's been great. But so often it is like, oh, let me hold the baby. But then I'm anxious because I'm feeling like they're crying and, well, I'll just do it, right? And so I don't end up getting the respite that I actually need. And so I think I've just really had to learn to let go. And, you know, I'm still figuring it out, but the more I get out of the way and let people find their own way and learn to be okay with the girls crying and, um you know, things not happening in the exact order, right? The control piece in motherhood is, is nuts for me, at least. Um, it, the better things have gotten, but it's, it's an ongoing daily practice and something I'm still very much trying to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that at different stages, you're kind of re-met with having to relearn and re- kind of move through the process of letting go of control and and so I'm I'm interested to hear now you have two daughters your daughters are probably what like a year and a half a little less apart right yeah they're yeah they're 22 months apart so almost two years almost 22 months yeah yeah so within that then have you how is that you know you're having like parallel journeys right where it's like mothering two kids at the same time have you found that you're kind of like re-meeting similar um, challenges or was some of what you went through with your first postpartum experience was that able to kind of give you um, a bit of grace for the second experience how like what what has that been like to now mother two children are you finding that the second time around you've had a little bit more space to let in help in different ways than you were able to your first time? And I know um, that you had much different experiences with your first daughter and your second daughter. Um, how do you feel like you went to that same dark place with your second pregnancy or what has the two different journeys, how have they yeah. supported each other or made it more complicated what has that been like that yeah. I'm like I'm not sure what that question is if that made sense but hopefully <laughs> it's okay I'm like a I you know you ask something and then I start and then I'm, I take it somewhere else so we'll, we'll just see where we'll just see where it yeah. flows but um yeah no I think I'm understanding you I think um yeah it's, it's ironic because and I think you shared something similar Julia about how your second pregnancy um has been much harder in mm-hmm. many ways right and I had a very similar experience in the sense that just physically speaking my second pregnancy was much more intense um I think your body's kind of like all right we know how to do this like it's go time but um I think you know the, I had a lot of back pain um and still do um my second time around, but my first pregnancy was a breeze. Like Lenny, I felt like a goddess. I felt so like beautiful. I think just because it had been almost a year of like really wanting to get pregnant. And, um, in comparison, I, we knew we wanted more than one kiddo, but we were not expecting to have them so close together. And during the pandemic and, you know, we found out we were pregnant unexpectedly with Georgia in March, which was like basically the 
the lockdown, right? Yeah. So a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety around that. But um, but in comparison, then my labor experience with Georgia was very profoundly healing for me. Um, I still I got an epidural. Um, it was a hospital birth, but I the difference was I just felt so empowered. And I felt, um, I mean, there's so many things I could say about that labor, which I'll I'll spare you. I'll just say it was met during, so she was born in December. So I feel like the the pandemic, there's been kind of ebbs and flows of the intensity of it, of course, but that was a really intense time. My mom ended up getting COVID the week I went into labor and she was supposed to be our um, childcare for Lenny. And so we had been exposed because we had been with my mom two days before she got COVID. And so in speaking with my midwife, there was about a week where I was concerned that I would have to give birth alone Mm -hmm. in the hospital because we had been exposed and we didn't have childcare and we didn't want to ask someone to come watch us in thinking we might have COVID. So I feel like my worst fear kind of happened right before she was born in a sense of like, Oh my God, I might have to go give labor alone. And I actually think, um, having that experience lent itself to just being so joyful during my second, um, labor because it happened. Um, I went into labor basically the day that it was, I was given the green light that if you get to this day, if you can keep her in till this day, then Mike can come to the hospital with you. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. Like I woke up that morning in labor and he got to come with. And so I think I was just so grateful to have him there and that my mom at that point had been sick for about a week and we knew she was going to be okay. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a super thankfully extreme reaction. And so I think I was just coming into that labor with such a sense of gratitude and I was really just direct, um, and really strong in, in myself during that labor. And then, but I will just say postpartum, you know, of course there's periods of your hormones are raging. Like, you know, it's, it's still, um, it's not like that it's rainbows and sunshine, right? So I had some dark moments, but nowhere near the depths of what I experienced after Lenny was born. And I do think a big saving grace to that is that I welcomed in support and I got out of my own way. And we had the postpartum doula. Um, We had my mom over here a lot. We had, uh, we are blessed with the most amazing nanny. She's been with us since Lenny was five months old and she's become basically a grandma to them she is family and she you know part of me felt like well do we still need her because I'm on technically on maternity leave but speaking of privilege right but I'm like no like I need her I need support I can't I can't do it all and so we still paid her and thankfully we have the resources to do that you know and yes that's a privilege and I do think it made a big difference you know as far as just how I felt yeah, having having that other person there, I think is particularly someone you can tr- really trust, I think makes yes. a huge difference. And one word that you said that really stuck stuck out to me was empowered. That you were empowered and for me I so 
the episode that will go out two before yours, this is with this woman, Jackie Carr, and she's a, a goal and vision coach. And she really introduced the idea to me of having two visions, right? It's not just like one vision. And I think a lot of us, and I know that there's such an important place for the hypnobirthing and hypnobabies, and I think you can learn so much from it. Yes. Yet, when you get so... Um, stuck on that one narrative and then it doesn't happen that is so disempowering that this time around like I went into my birth being like it's not going to be painful oh boy you know it's like when, when you like no I I have these tools I'm going to use my hypno baby right. anesthesia you know and I right, do right. believe for some women birth isn't as painful because their babies are in a good position. It's like if your right, baby right, right. is poorly positioned, or I don't want to say poorly positioned, if they're, if they're in a position that makes it more challenging for them to move yes. into the birthing canal, holy yes. motherfucking shit. Like that's the only way to say it. You know, it's like, then yeah, like it's going to be really painful. And so it's like walking in yes. being like, oh, it's not going to be painful. And then you get to yes. a place where it's like when you shared the story of you and your rain boots and purple, um, you know, robe and eye mask. My moment is I wish someone could have seen me when I arrived to the hospital because I kept walking in circles because I was like so overcome with pain that I, I like couldn't physically handle it. So it's like, I literally was yes. walking around with like a chicken and the head cut off and I would love mm -hmm. to see, like I can, so remember my labor mm. happened really fast so ours was different mm. where it's like mm. I went from zero to 60 like we couldn't get to the hospital fast enough so my doula actually had to meet us there she didn't even have time wow. to come to our house so she's like waiting for us at the hospital and I get out of the car and I'm just like walking in circles and I can remember looking her looking at me like a deer in the headlights because she's yes. like what do I do with this woman you know so to kind of go back to the empowered piece I think it's important for us to know like, oh, there's so many different things that can happen. And within these scenarios, these are the choices that I'm going to make instead of staying married to one, right? It's like, oh, this is my highest vision, but then yet also having kind of running through the alternative visions of what's going to happen. So then when you're in there in the moment, you can have that empowerment because I think that's the difference between, you know, leaving your exiting your labor experience with trauma versus exiting your labor mm -hmm. experience integrated because it's like yes. you weren't knocked off your center because you, you know, you yes. were resourced in that experience. And so I'm happy yes. that you use that word and brought it up because it's like, I think you could have a really empowered belly birth, right? Like, I don't think you, sure. every woman is going to sure. walk away from that feeling, you know, traumatized because it's like, if you, if you're there and you're in the moment, that can be a really yeah. empowering experience. But I think you and I went into our first births very similarly where we're like, okay, like this is what's going to happen. And then right, right. reality was like, okay, no, it's not. And then we weren't prepared for that. And so that leaves you so like fractured. Right. And then you have to put those pieces back together. And, um, I am very selfishly curious. What did you end up doing yes. with Lenny when you did go into labor then? Oh, yes. Yes. So I am so, again, so blessed. I had a couple of friends, um, 
some of who you probably know through the yoga community that we're mutually friends with that were like, I don't care if you were exposed, I will come over and watch her, even though, you know, we don't know if you have COVID, she has COVID. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm not putting you through that. Um, because this was pre-vaccine, yeah. um, you know, so, and I think the hospitals were kind of at their highest, highest, um, admissions at that point. So anyways, long story short, our, our angel, I don't know what else to call her, of a nanny. Um, it's weird to even call her a nanny because she's like literally a fan. She's family. Yeah. Um, took Lenny at her house, and mind you, Georgia was born on the 21st, so it was right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. She had family in town. She took Lenny and our dog, who is sometimes more high maintenance than, I feel like, Julia, we have this, I don't know, we have so many parallels, because yeah. isn't your dog really high maintenance, too? And they're like, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and, and like, she, bigger, bigger, is your dog a boy or a girl? Yes. Yeah. It's like my dog's boy too. So it's like, they're not small dogs. They're like good sized, high needs creatures. Yeah. Yes. Um, so she took him who he's the most anxious, lovable, but just very high maintenance creature. Um, and had them at her house until Christmas Eve while I was in the hospital. And you know, it, I could like, it makes me emotionally even talk about because I could never, repay her like it was just such a gift given everything we were going through at that time and um of course my mom wanted to take her and felt terrible but it's like well you know she was in isolation and so it was just it was just such a wild time and now I it'll be very interesting and, and special to also share that that piece of the story with Georgia someday yeah yeah, I uh, I only ask because I'm just, that's like my one of my hardest things. I'm like, the baby's going to come out, but where's Sloan going to be? Like, is she going to be right. okay? Because it's like she she was such a pandemic baby. You know, she was such a pandemic baby where we've spent so much time together. She's never spent a night away from me. And so, yeah, that's why I was like, I'm going to selfishly ask because, and how, how did you, how are you dealing with, was that on your mind? Were you thinking about her a lot or were you just like, so in the moment of birth where you were able to kind of let that go? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, this comes down to trust. So you brought up, you know, support system and who you trust. And, you know, of course I'm very close with my friends that offered to, to watch Lenny. And it was such, I mean, it just warms my heart that they even offered that given the circumstances, but I think I would have been much more preoccupied with anxiety had we gone that route because with our nanny, she's with Lenny multiple days a week and Lenny is so comfortable with her. And so that really made such a big difference in letting go. But of course, I mean, it's, it's, there's so many emotions that, especially as you get closer to, you know, having your son, it's like around, it's so bittersweet, you know, as far as your first baby is always going to be your first baby, but yet you are like, how am I going to make, for me at least, I, I'll just speak for myself, it was like, how am I going to make space for this other, I, I literally don't tangibly understand how my heart could expand anymore. And it just does. It just happens, you know. Um, but yeah, I was I was worried about her. I was worried about her, but not to the point where it took away from me being really present in that second birth. 
earth um, yeah. because she was with somebody we really trust. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm. That's kind of where I'm at right now where I'm like, oh my goodness, Sloan is like the center of my reality. Like my yeah. sun rises and sets on her. How am I going to have two of those present and then everyone's just like it happens and I and it's one of those things where it's like you don't know until you know like you can't even experience it until you get there and so I keep trying to take that step back of like I'm preemptively worrying about how I'm gonna have two kids at the same time and like I'm like okay why don't we just have our one kid now and be pregnant (laughs) you know it's like it's so funny how where we kind of go um before we even get there but it's like it just happens and I also love how you shared um that you're still going through it right now and I did read the book the fourth trimester although I read it before I had my daughter so I'm like I need to read it again because it doesn't resonate because it's like you don't know what postpartum's like till you get to postpartum but the one thing with like the fourth trimester like the first 40 days that I think has caused like a bit of a disservice to us now I mean we're in a different paradigm versus like where our parents were in terms of mothering is I feel that personally myself so I will speak to myself like before I had my daughter I was like okay you know once the fourth trimester is over it's like snap everything is just gonna fall into place and it's like we are two years in and it's like there is no place, you know, like there's (laughs) no place. And, and it's like, when you think you find a place, it's like something shifts in a big way, you know, and, and then there's no place anymore. And then you have to find the new place. And so it's like, there is no place. And that's, um, I'm so happy you brought that up because it's like, we're not arriving anywhere. There's no arrival. Like we're not getting anywhere. It's just like this continuous journey where everything changes and, when you said too, like you got to a place of surrender, like that's kind of been my experience of like, there's no plateau, you know, it's like, like like maybe you might have like a reprieve of like, oh, this has been like a week or two where we've kind of just, you know, like been pretty steady, but then something happens again, you know, it's like teeth, sickness, you know, sleep changes, time change. Oh my God. Just for everyone listening, we're recording on November 6th. Sloan woke up at 5.55 this morning. I was like, dear God. Oh my gosh. Like tomorrow we're going to be getting up at, and she's never been a late sleeper. So it's just like always something. And there's no like bow for it. You know, there's no like packaging. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think to that point, like I remember when you and I spoke, we touched base briefly on Wednesday, but you were, I was sharing with you that our, both our girls are, have a little cold right now. They've been sick basically since any sort of preschool in August on and off. And I think that's one of the downfalls of pandemic babies, right? It's like, oh, yeah. they were in such a bubble. Um, but I remember you saying on Wednesday, like, okay, if, if you need to reschedule Saturday, you know, if, if they're too sick, no worries, just let me know. And to be honest, like, I had that thought because they are a little bit sick and, like, you know, it just pulls on your mama heartstrings, right? Yeah. Like, they're they're not home right now. They're at our nanny's house. Um, so I could just record in peace and quiet. But I had I was also, like, when are there – when is there ever going to be – there's never going to be a perfect time for us to record this, right? Because if they're not sick – my dog's going to be, I don't know, needing something or it's, you know, I'm going to be sick or whatever it is. And so like, let's, that's, that's what you're creating a space for is like, just 
I feel like the real unedited or like unplugged version of motherhood of like, it is hard and you just juggle. It's a freaking juggling act and it's a circus, but it's beautiful and it's messy and it's, it's, it's a both and experience. You know? Oh, for sure. There's, there's so much, so many layers. So I'm like, no, let's do this. I'm going to do this. And I'll be honest. It's been so strange though. They, my girls went to our nannies this morning, like I mentioned, and I'm like in our house alone. I have no clue when the last time I was in our, our house along with my husband's in school. So he's at, he's not here either. And I'm like, this is the weirdest, most amazing feeling. And I'm just going to enjoy the quiet for a little bit. And then I also can't wait to go pick them up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely that. And it's, you know, you're good friends with Olivia who is previously on the podcast, Olivia Hughes, for those listening. And during my conversation with her, we were joking of like, we don't have anywhere to like tie this up. So it's like, we're coming up on time and it's like, (laughs) you, I, I know that you can't be like, okay, well, here's the moral of the story. Or like, this is your like walking away point. You know, it's like, it's forever unfolding. And Mm -hmm. I like, I don't know if it's like the type A in me or the Virgo or whatever it is that like wants there to be like, okay, this is our thesis. You know, like this is like the tangible takeaway from the conversation. It's like, there is not ever going to be one with new mothers because we're going through the experience. And like you had initially mentioned with like postpartum, it's like, it can happen right away. It can happen years on. It's like, you have a good month, you have a tough month. And it's like, we're just riding it out and it's just happening. And there's so many dichotomies that's happening. And I'm, I'm the same way. It's like, I literally had to like force my child out of the house this morning with my husband. Like I literally had to like unhook her from my body. And then when I came inside, I was like, okay, deep breath. Now I have like 20 minutes to get ready before, you know, this we record. And then at the same time, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for her to come home now. You know, it's like you want the space, but then you don't. And that's just how life is going to be. I'm guessing for a really long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like the can't wait till bedtime. But then once they're finally in bed, you're scrolling through your pictures. Oh, yeah, definitely. I am curious, though, since I do want to be respectful of our time, listeners' time. um, What would you like to leave with today? Like, is there any final thought or if you did have like, oh, this is the wisdom that I have gained so far that I would like to share? What are some final thoughts that you would like to offer? Yeah. Oh, such a beautiful question. Um. I'm just taking a moment to see what's present. I think, yeah, just in service to what we've talked about as far as um, sharing our stories, I think it is essential as women, not even just mothers, but as women for us to find a space where we can share our stories and our truths without the other person or group of people, if it's in a group setting, needing to fix it, change it, interject with Mm -hmm. their um, quote-unquote agenda, because that's the thing. I mean, sometimes you share your story. Like, I've shared my birth story before, and it's like um, sometimes the people that are holding the space to listen are well-intentioned, but they do jump in in a way that, causes this uh 
a shift, I guess, if you will, in how I'm, how I'm speaking to it. And so I, I, I think it's just, we're meant as women to be in community. We're meant to, um, to connect in that way. And so if possible, you know, finding those people, I think we're lucky if we have one, maybe two people in our life, whether that's, you know, a loved one or a, you know, a paying a therapist, or mm-hmm. if it's in my case, and I know, you know, I don't want to say way too much because I know we need to wrap up, but I uh, shared with you a resource as far as uh, birth story listening with yeah. Lula, right? Yeah. And that was speaking of unofficial therapists. I mean, she's not a therapist, but what we did in that session was therapy. It was so therapeutic and cathartic. And so you can find people, there are resources out there. And I just think every woman um, is worthy of, of sharing um, their story and their truths and receiving full presence on the other end, um, others being a witness to the, to our experiences. Yeah. And I, I would have probably ended up highlighting that in the intro, you know, calling that out because you did suggest, like I wrote a post one time and you had reached out to me and told me like, Oh, I did this birth story listening experience. It was really powerful. And then I ended up going to the same woman, which she offers virtual sessions. That's what I did. I did it virtually because it's a pandemic. So I'll definitely, if, if you're listening and you want that information, please reach out and I'll reach out to her and see if she's comfortable with me linking to her as well. Um, yeah. because it, it, it was so powerful and, it, and I had gone to therapy and shared my birth story and I had shared it in other capacities, but having been specific intention around someone hearing you share the story without saying, well, look, you guys are okay. Or this is okay. Or, right. you know, just like, sharing and being very intentional about it it was incredibly healing so thank you for directing me to that experience and as you said you know it's like even if it's just one person that listens with that openness without needing to fix or change anything that's such a gift absolutely yeah Yeah, absolutely well, I want to thank you so much for being so vulnerable. I haven't had any guests yet share their birth stories and with the intention and the power that you did. And I mean, that's where I'm at on my journey right now is preparing for that. And I know that any woman who has recently birthed or even birthed, you know, a long time ago, it's like hearing other women's stories and then being able to see yourself in that is such a powerful um, experience. So thank you for being open to giving us your gifts today. And I always appreciate people who share in depth on social media, but aren't like super out there. So I don't know if you're going to want me to link, but we can talk offline and and you can provide me if someone wants to connect with you, uh, the best way to do that. And I just want to thank you so much for being so open and honest. And you're truly just one of my favorite authentic people. So thank you for being you and, and being open to being on the podcast. Um, Julia, thank you. It means so much. And thank you for letting me share in that way. You know, it's, I, I will be honest, you know, I never would have thought right after Lenny was born that I would be at this point where I can talk yeah. about it and, you know, put it out there. So what a gift. And yeah, I just, 
I know we haven't yet had a chance to connect much in what do the kids say? I R I R L. Yeah. Like, you know, someone that's not on social media. I'm like, oh, I mean, I am, but I'm like, what's the lingo? But yeah, I just, I'm just so inspired that you've created this and just deeply, deeply honored that you asked me to be here. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share this episode with your friends. And you can help us grow by subscribing, rating, and reviewing a podcast for moms on your favorite podcasting platforms. I'd love to connect with you. Feel free to direct message me on Instagram at a podcast for moms or send me an email, a podcast for moms at gmail.com. I can't do this alone. Together, though, we are a movement of moms revolutionizing the world through radical motherhood.